0: Welcome back to Random Badassery, the podcast dedicated to creativity. I'm Chad Hall. And I am Lam Nguyen. And we believe creativity is the way to a better world.
1: Join us in our uh, quest to creativity.
0: And in today's episode, we'll be talking about using criticism to grow, defining what you do, using to
1: doist labels, and everyday obstacles. And for anyone who hasn't uh, heard in our previous episode, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Uh, Get your 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash randombadassery, and that's one word. That's audibletrial.com slash randombadassery. um, Included in your uh, your free trial is an audiobook of your choice. And this month, I'm recommending... Something that's a little bit uh, off the beaten path um, but is an interesting twist on vampires um, for all of you that are fans of vampires, go check out The Strain by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan. Um, It is a pretty interesting twist on an old folklore tale. You know, Lamb, change is a scary word.
0: Something about it makes most of us cringe, but in reality, change is all around us. The world is full of change, and without it we would all shrivel up and disappear. Change is kind of how we learn. Night changes into day. Food changes hunger into satisfaction. Sex changes desire into, well, satisfaction. But one place where we often fail to acknowledge change is in our creative lives. We all do it. We focus too much on style, or we find something that we think works well enough But we're afraid to tweak it because we think, well, those things apparently are fragile. But in reality, without adaptation, it would just all fall apart. They would stop inspiring us and we would just bore people to death. We have to grow. Creativity needs to expand. But there are things that we don't see, things we can't see, you know, like blind spots. Things that other people have to point out. You've done it to me time and time again. Those things are the hardest things to change because we have to accept some sort of shame or some sort of insecurity or maybe we fight against it because we're stubborn. But most of us fail to actually listen to what other people are saying when they're, quote unquote, criticizing us because we're afraid that maybe if we actually hear what they're saying, that it's, I don't know, it's going to sprout legs and start walking around the room and crying like a little demon baby. I mean, in reality, we should talk about this maybe a little bit more specifically. Those that's, that's the abstract of it. But to be more specific, we've said multiple times before that I love this podcast, that you love this podcast, that we love doing it, we love the way we do it. And at the same time, we're always looking to improve it, um, always looking to make it better because we want to provide more value. And as a consequence, I ended up with a very beneficial opportunity to speak to one of the producers of one of the largest podcasts in the world on Wednesday. And in the process of that, I had to face up to uh, possible limitations of the show. You know, there's part of us, there's a voice in our head that says, this is how we do our show. Nobody else knows. Nobody else understands. People will get it with time. Or when you write something, you can say the same things. Like, they just don't get what I mean. If that sounds familiar, then you guys are probably on the same page with me here. Well, the other day when I was talking to uh, this producer on the phone, I, I just basically I was asking for general advice. I wanted to hear his thoughts because I was open to listen, or at least I thought I was. In reality, what I discovered afterwards, because I felt defensive after I heard some of the things, um, what I discovered is what I really wanted to hear was that we were awesome and that we were unique. So what I had to do after that phone call, I was a little bit bummed and a little bit defensive, as I said. He suggested that our podcast was too long, that an hour and a half was way more than people were willing to listen to. He actually suggested that we cut it down to twenty minutes or less, and he suggested that our structure had to be more obvious. Well, damn it, that's not exactly what I wanted to hear. Basically, if I did those things, this would be a completely different show. If we did those things, that would be that make this a completely different show. So my initial reaction was to reject everything that he said. He doesn't know right. He's a producer of one of the top podcasts in the world. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course he does. So I had to really think about his advice. I had to take that criticism in. Whatever you want to call it, advice, criticism. The thing about it is it's not black or white. Criticism, it's not binary. It's not an on or off thing. You don't have to take the whole thing in or spit it out. You can chew the parts that you want. You can digest those things only. You can listen without being threatened. Now the truth is this show, it would never work in twenty minutes. No way. We we always talk about getting you guys to meet and really digging below the surface. And twenty minutes is usually just us warming up our rambling engines. So (laughs) you would miss the really important parts of the show if it was only twenty minutes. But what I had to really think about is the fact that we have these rambling engines. That we do go on tangents. And that even though it's more comfortable for us to record and just record the way we talk, that's not as beneficial to the audience, to you guys, because we're promising you these things. But if we're rambling onto tangents, away from the purpose of what we're talking about, you're not really getting as much time on that topic as you deserve. So while this show's never going to be 20 minutes, it is going to be more structured. It is going to be planned out more. We're going to come into these things knowing exactly what we're going to talk about, and we're going to make sure that we deliver that, and we're going to cut all the crap. If I go on a tangent, guess what? In the editing room, I'm cutting my tangent. So you guys are just going to hear that. And why am I talking about this? Yes, I want you guys to know that we're changing things a little bit, not drastically. Don't get scared. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because I want you to know that there's a creative lesson there that we have to learn to use criticism
1: to grow. And that means hearing what that criticism is. Criticism is just a suggestion. Like all things when it comes to advice from people are just suggestions. Even if they don't know you and they don't know your life and they don't know your projects, that doesn't mean that there isn't something wise to be said or some lesson to be taken from what they're trying to tell you. Um, and if you take the best artists out there, if you take the smartest business people, if you take the best people in the world at whatever it is that they do, one of the defining characteristics of successful people is the ability to take lessons and and use them to to enhance, augment, or evolve whatever it is that they're doing in order to create a better version of that and I think that with both Chad and I, given the number of winding circles that we've taken through the process of producing this podcast, one of the clear lessons that I think We take both from this um, as a podcast and into our uh, respective creative and personal lives is that there's always room for improvement, that there's always room for change, that regardless of how good you may think you are at something, there's always a way to get better.
0: It's also important to keep in mind that other people's feelings about what you do or what you create, their experience is valid. Whether or not the ways that they suggest that you change things are valid or things that you want to do, or things that you feel are the right thing to do, their experience of what you've created is still valid. It is still their experience. So for that reason alone, you should still listen to people. Because you are the one creating things. You are the one putting things out to an audience.
1: If you didn't want to hear what other people think, you should just keep it in a drawer. And here's the wonderful thing about having that drawer. Um, I will say now that both mentally and to a certain extent physically uh, with my notebooks and my bookshelves, I have that drawer. And the amazing thing about having that drawer, especially the mental one that you store away in your mind, whether it's towards personal relationships or conversations or social interactions or creative projects or whatever it may be, that drawer, the, the bigger that drawer is the more armed you are to take on almost any challenge, um, the more powerful you become in those moments and the more prepared you are to take something and not just react to it, but create something out of it. And, you know, that's, that's the one reason why I, I've, for, for example, I've recently um, started to do some, some boxing stuff again. And one of the things that I remember um from those lessons in boxing is the more times you've seen a punch coming from a certain angle, the quicker you are to reacting to them. And after a while, you don't react to them anymore. You anticipate them. You see the certain ripples in muscle that that telegraph a certain move of the body. You see a certain step or a certain pivot or a certain weight shift that creates the sequence of events that leads to a jab heading high and left. And before that even happens, because of the experience that you have and because of those 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 many files that you've stored away in those drawers, you know what you need to do in order to, to manu- maneuver yourself in such a way that you'll be ready for that punch and you'll be able to counteract, react, and act accordingly in almost any situation.
0: Another thing to consider is that when we are very protective of something resistant to criticism, resistant to hearing things. It's because there's an insecurity. We know that uh, maybe it's not the best thing, even though we've convinced ourselves that what we've created is the best thing. And that's the right mindset. You want to have the mindset that what you made is not the best that you can possibly make because you want to believe the next thing you're going to make is the best thing you could possibly make. And then after you make that, you want to believe the next thing is the best thing that you can possibly make. Salman Rushdie was interviewed on a podcast that I ran across the other day. And he talked about how the first book he wrote was just panned. Nobody liked it. And he was shocked because he thought it was so amazing. He had a complete blind spot to it. And because of that, he had to reconsider everything that he thought he knew about writing. And what he did is he came back with his second book in a completely different way. And that second book was Midnight's Children, which is one of his most successful selling books of all time. And if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't screwed up that first book, or if he hadn't listened to that voice, to those voices, and actually considered them, he might have considered uh, continued writing books in that same manner of the first one that I don't even know the name of. And he never would have written Midnight's Children, and then he would have never written the Satanic Verses. Because, you guys, remember when you build a wall? You initially, you build it to stop things from coming in. But in the process, you also stop the ability to send things out. Kind of the opposite of the thing that you want to do as an artist. You know, eventually, with the walls up, the latrines will fill. And the kombucha bottles are going to pile up to the sky. You can't live isolated for that long. You just, you can't. You can't create in a vacuum. You've probably heard that before. You can't. So if you have to build walls, don't forget the doors and the windows. And for God's sakes, don't forget
1: the drawbridges. And now we're going to talk about something a little different. Um, this is something that I've I've struggled with quite a bit throughout my artistic life, and I'm coming to terms a lot uh, with it lately because of the choices that I've had to make for myself. Which is, why is it so bad to let what you do define who you are and what you are, as long as it's honest to who you are and what you are? Why Why is it bad to let yourself become the thing that you do? Um, and that's a question I've been asking myself on a fairly regular basis over the last couple of weeks, because I've made some really, really big changes and some huge choices um, as a person, both personally and artistically. And I think that moving forward, if I can approach my artistic life with a sense of Sincerity, then it'll help me to be a more sincere person in my personal life, and vice versa so it's it's reciprocal in that sense, and I believe that one of the things that that we often fall into too much as artists is to let um this personal sense of separation uh separate who we are as people from what we do and I think that you know as we get older and older and older, we start to relegate those creative things or those artistic things. Um, to the box that we define as hobbies or things that we could live without. And I think that that's a very dangerous thing to do. That's a thing that I definitely did over the last couple of years. And I, I don't like the fact that I've done them. Uh, don't get me wrong this goes back to a few episodes ago where one of the biggest things that i was looking at were what artistic things define me as a person and like for example i decided that i wasn't really that much of a writer anymore so i can't call myself a writer with a straight face and really be sincere about that that doesn't define me as a person anymore but uh, by that same token one of the things that i am choosing to push myself into full force again is photography. And obviously, if photography is something that's been such a big part of my life for for as long as it has been, and it's something that I consciously think about without having to choose it, then I think that that um, is something that very much defines me. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up to Chad, um, and one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you guys about uh, is understanding creative sincerity and understanding how that can create a more true version of who you are to yourself artistically as well as personally. And so I don't necessarily think that it's bad to define who you are by what you do. And I think that um, all of us need to take a long, hard look at the things that we do and see if they really are a part of who we are as people, if we're just doing them for the sake of doing them. And I think in asking that question and defining that question for yourself, you get a, you get a much clearer sense, almost almost a liberating sense of truth and 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 personal definition that I think you can't really get any other way. You
0: know what I also think is very dangerous about this uh, separation between what you do, quote unquote, what you do for a living, and what you do for passion, we'll say, is that people think that the cure for being unhappy in a job is to take your passion and make that into a job. And I can tell you from personal experience, that has not worked out for me ever. I hate writing for money. I love writing but I do not like writing articles for for people it's just a unless it's something that has come to me and I already wrote it and I can sell it to some publication afterwards but it was fully formed just because that's for what I felt like writing but I can't I'm not a journalist I could not you know by Thursday I want an article on this I've done that I hate it and the articles suffer because of it your passion isn't necessarily the thing that you should use to make money, uh, what you should do to make money is find something that you're good at. Has nothing to do with w- whether it's your passion, because if you're good at it, you will enjoy it. Uh, Lamb,
1: you did photography for a while for money and hated it. Yeah, I detested it, and I think that one of the the, the lessons learned there. I, there there are a couple of lessons here because it's not necessarily that you have to remove. You have to remove the making money, um, doing something you're passionate about aspect of it. I think the key to it and I think the part of it that I'm now starting to hone and chop pieces away at is that you have to do it under your terms. You have to do it because you want to do it and not because you have to do it. For example, I did photography for for ten years as a job. You know, I I did I started with weddings, then I did commercial and editorial photography and I did all kinds of of various other photography projects. And by the end of those ten years I, I detested photography as a medium and I, I realized later on that it wasn't photography that did it you know it wasn't the the act of taking pictures that that made me hate it so much it was the fact that I was not doing any of it on my terms I wasn't working on projects that I liked I wasn't creating a visual image or defining a visual style that I was interested in and so just to give people some context I actually stopped taking pictures for almost a solid four years and for anyone who knows me, they'll understand how dramatic or drastic of, of, of a choice that is. You know, you, it's hard pressed for, for anyone who's known me for any length of time to imagine a period of my life in which I didn't have a camera at the ready and in which I wasn't thinking about a visual, visual image or um, creating or capturing images on almost a constant basis. Even to this day, I do that. The only way that I could do that again is by defining what it really meant to me. And understanding that moving forward, if I was thinking about trying to make money doing it, that it would have to be in a very, very different way. And for me, that very different way was I had to have a choice in what I did, how I did it, when I did it, and who I did it with. And all of those things made it so that when I was working on photography projects, like especially the ones I've done lately, it's very much by choice. It's very much specific to the, the desire that I have as a visual artist. Like, for example, um, I've had a few people who have asked me about projects and one of my, my conversations with them always is, how much creative control do I have? And the only, the only right answer is as much creative control as you want. You know, because don't get me wrong, I'm not a, an entirely selfish artist. Um, when I'm collaborating with someone or working on a project with someone, I definitely want their input. But if I have a very strong vision of what that image or what that 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 style is supposed to be then I'm not going to hold back on what that is so I agree with Chad for the most part but I think that a very important point in all of this is not necessarily just not doing not doing something that you're passionate about for money but if you're going to do something like that it has to be on your terms and you never ever ever can relinquish control of that you have to hold on to it. And and the moment you let it go, it's a slippery slope. And a few projects later, you'll realize that you've given up instead of five or 6% of your control, you've given up 80% of your control. And now you're literally just a monkey with a camera. The
0: other day on Instagram, in our daily questions, you asked me, of the people I know who I had the most respect for, and I couldn't find the person that I had the most respect for. But somebody that I have a tremendous amount of respect for is our friend Matt. And Matt does weddings. He does wedding videography. He's really good at it. And he asked me one time to help him. I said, no, I hate weddings. I hate going working weddings because I did catering. And I was kind of, have been traumatized ever since then. And he's like, really? They're just so much fun. Matt has no passion for weddings. Matt has no passion for people getting married. He's really good at what he does. So it's really fun to him to go to these weddings and to do that work. And he's infinitely, infinitely creative human being. So
1: I, I think of him a lot when I think of the difference between those two things. I'm almost cautious in responding to that because I do agree with it for the most part, but I also think that uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, for me, it's tough, because I think about um, writing. And I think that at, at at one point, at least to me, I considered myself to be a decent writer. But I did it enough that I started to hate it as well. Uh, but you're right, though. I mean, I, I think about your journalism example. And I think a lot of it is because I made the wrong choices in who I worked for, and what my subject matter was, versus um, something like Matt, where where he he produces such a great product and almost everyone he's ever shot for just gives him glowing rave reviews. Um, so he's, he's very good at what he does, but I think that there's, there's a reciprocal relationship there. I think that it's not just about Matt doing weddings and enjoying them because I've actually shot a few weddings with Matt. Um, and one of the things that I definitely, I definitely see in him is a a certain amount of, of knowledge, Confidence and joy that he goes into those projects with, and I think that's really unique. So for me, I think the takeaway, especially from from looking at the Matt example, is that you know when I think about what Matt does, he's a person who captures images, he captures moments, he captures these special these these special interactions between people that will never happen again. And I think that that is what defines him. That is what he cares about. You know, if you look at Matt as a person, you look at the things that he's interested in. You know, the the he he loves. Uh, Pixar movies. He loves cute moments between people. He loves quirky, funny things. And I think that all of those things are defined in what he does when it, it comes to wedding videography or pretty much any other videography project he does. So I think that that's a really good example of what I'm talking about in that what he does is definitely what he is. All right, so for all of you out there in random badassery land, uh, whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, what we've been instituting lately is a creative challenge. And from the creative challenge, what we do is we give you a word or a prompt um, that then inspires you to create something. And this month's challenge is: What does the word "light" mean to you? So, for all of you out there who are listening to the podcast, what we'd like you to do is create a piece of artwork, whether—well, um, actually, it doesn't even have to be artwork. Just create something that that embodies the word light to you. And something that we've, for some odd reason, never asked you to do before, um, is to go out there and find all of your creative friends. Find all, even the friends you have that aren't creative and convince them to do something creative. Ask them what the word means to them and then ask something to produce something. And what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to share all of those pieces with us, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever it may be. We check all of these various places. And um, what we'd like you to do is, uh, if it's on Instagram, for example, tag us. If it's um, on Twitter, uh, tweet it at us. If it's on Facebook, just post it on the page.
0: Now what I'd like to talk to you guys about is actually a question that we got on Instagram. Allison wanted to know about, uh, she just moved to Todoist and she was a former user of Wonderlist. And since Wonderlist is going away, she had to go find something else. Todoist is the top dog right now. So she's on the top dog. And now she's stressed out because she thinks she has too many labels. I know how how it happens. It happens to all of us. Um, A lot of you out there maybe don't use Todoist, but you have way too many labels in your Evernote and maybe that's stressing you out. I know that at a certain time I had probably 3 400 labels, they call them tags in Evernote. So, what's the solution that I suggest for Allison? I suggest that you give yourself a label anima. Just flush that stuff out. So basically, here's here's the thing. The purpose of a label is for fast grouping. You just want to be able to pull up stuff that's grouped together in a fast way most people label things hoping that something will become a group you know for example if I put up a note about this episode of the podcast maybe I want to label it with Todoist and I want to label it with defining and I want to label it with Salman Rushdie and I want to label it with the word kombucha because I mentioned that in an earlier segment But what you have to ask yourself here is, of the labels or tags, whichever program you're using, that you are adding, that you are creating, which of them are you actually going to ever use? I'm never going to need to pull up a grouping of kombucha. But I might need to pull up a grouping of something like Todoist. I might need that. I might need to see every time that Todoist is mentioned on the show. But here's, here's another thing about, uh, about tags and labels that you should consider, that most of them you don't need to actually create as tags because Evernote and Todoist and all of these programs have outstanding search. So if you can pull up the results that you want just by doing a keyword search, then there is no reason for that to be a label because you, you, don't, you don't need it. It's going to be faster to pull it up that way too. That's, that's one click. Just go in, you type the word, click, there's the results. Labels. You got to go to the label tab. You got to click the label the label you want. It's like three clicks. Yes, I know we're talking about milliseconds here, but for some people, those milliseconds are very important. So you need to really understand why you're creating labels. You need to understand how everything is put together. Now, everybody's going to make things differently, and the way that they create their productivity system differently. Allison asked about the way that uh, we do things. And since I'm the one that created the Todoist when we were using it, this is the way that I built it. So you have in Todoist you have three tabs of your main page. You have your projects, you have your labels, and you have your filters. The projects. This is going to be the basic areas of your life or of your work if you're only using it for work. And then any sub-project underneath that is any important type of distinction. So personal, a distinction might be maybe you have a lot you like to work on your car. So your car is a distinction, because that's a list. This is You want to think about these projects in the same way that you think about the other things. These are fast grouping areas that you're going to want to look at grouped together. The difference is, if you follow GTD or anything like that and you do reviews, your projects are where you're going to do your reviews. You're going to go into your projects and do the reviews. So think about that when you're creating these areas in the grouping. When I review this, how do I want to look at it? When I go, okay, let me review all of the things on my list of things to do for the car. Okay, that seems like a logical grouping. So therefore, that will be my distinction. Now, labels, I, I, I didn't really use them very much. Because I, once again, I don't think we need them very much. But type of labels that are important that you're not going to get a lot of other places are things like some days. So when you create a task, but you, you know, maybe you'll do that someday. It's a good label because you're probably not going to add that to the title, so you won't be able to search for that. But when you're looking for a project, when all your other completed projects are done, you can pull up that someday label. And they might be in different areas of your life, but you'll be able to look at all those things from different projects that are things that you thought maybe someday you might want to do. And now you can consider whether you want to do it now. Another important label is waiting. Anything that you're waiting on from somebody else. You need somebody else or some other circumstance to happen. And what's really good in Todoist is to go in and make a note about what you're waiting for. So, in case you forget, you know, like I'm waiting for Lamb to talk to Juan Carlos. Okay, now I know what I'm waiting for. And then another one that I like to use is when free. This is stuff that you want to do, but it's not super important, doesn't have a pressing date. But when you have time, when you've completed in a day, when you just rocked it and you finished all your tasks for the day before 10 o'clock and you still want to be a little more productive, you pull up the win-free list, and you go, oh, go to a museum. Yeah, today seems like a a good day to go to a museum. And then filters is when you really get into power, and I'm not going to really explain how to go into filters because it's complicated and this is audio. But my basic advice to you, Allison, is think about the purpose of each label. Does it actually serve you? If it doesn't, get rid of it. Ask yourself also, can I achieve this same thing better using search and titling my, note, my, my tasks uh, in a way that the search will benefit that? If so, get rid of that label. And then really just get the labels that will group things in a way that nothing else in the program will. And then you'll see it dwindle
1: down, and then it'll be a really, really powerful section, and you'll be able to use it the way that you want. And it's really interesting how you can achieve that because I, I went through the same thing too as well. I went through label hell. Um, the moment I realized I could do that with tags in and Evernote, and I think we talked about this even before we started um, doing stuff for the podcast, just in our own personal lives is um, how... I would start small and work my way big when it came to whether it's tags or labels or whichever program that you're using or whatever whatever you think you're compartmentalizing or grouping in such a way that will help to make your life easier in the long run. And I used to think that starting small and building my way outwards was the way to go, um, only to find that I had so many small things in so many different places. It's like It's like taking... A coin person giving it a thousand different pockets and then putting a coin in each pocket um, rather than grouping coins together in such a way that made any real logical sense. So in my complete blow-up, uh, which is what you're talking about with the labels enema, because I did this with Evernote about a year and a half ago, was that I took all of the small things and I grouped them into bigger things, and then I removed all of the small things. And I think that that's that's kind of akin to what you're talking about, um, kind of understanding why you need groups and why they're important to work together. Um, I think for me personally, personally, one of the things that really helped me was understanding time um, and understanding not just the priority of what needed to be done when, uh, but how long things would take and what projects they were related to, either short-term, medium-term, or long-term. And I realized that everyone using one of these types of apps is going to use it slightly differently. But for me, time was a very big indicator as to when and how I would do certain projects or whether I would group certain projects together at all. And there are times, for example, where uh, something photography related um, can belong in two different groups, even though it's the same thing, because one is short term and one is long term. For example, so I think that that not just defining what they are and how you're going to use them is important. I also think that defining when you're going to use them and over what period of time is really important as well. When I did the personal interview with you, Lam, one of the things that we
0: talked about was how at the beginning of this podcast and in Probably, I would say, the beginning, meaning the first year. There was a lot of scatter on my part as to what we were using to organize ourselves. A lot of jumping from things. Because uh, I was jumping to conclusions about how things would be done without understanding what I needed and how to achieve it. And that's the lesson that I learned. And that's the lesson that I'm presenting here is understand what you're trying to achieve and understand what you're going to want from those things. And that will help you define what you actually put in. It's it's seems like the simplest thing. We all think that we do that. But we actually need to go to imagine yourself with the perfect productivity system and look backwards. What would that look like? When I want this, how would I want to find that? And then make that happen. Uh, a lot of people end up doing these things where they, especially in Evernote, I don't think this happens as much in Todoist, but they have labels that have, like, one or tags that have one note just one note in that tag why (laughs) just go to that note (laughs) so you need at least more than one thing to justify a label or a tag
1: also something really important to keep in mind and I think we all fall into this trap when we first start messing with productivity apps or to-do to-do list apps or whatever it may be whatever whatever app it is that you're using to try to organize your life is we there's a certain sense of novelty that you have from being able to do something the way that you're doing it for the first time. And I think because of that, you, you, you jump into it like a child and which is not necessarily a bad thing. In some senses, it makes you learn these apps much, much quicker, but in the long run, you can create yourself a lot of problems by not going into it with a sense of ruthless discipline and without some core logic. And I think that that's really, really important in my officially my third pass. At Evernote, I think one of the things that I really made a concerted effort to do is to go into it with a core of logic, defining what groups were to me and how those groups were to function together. Um, I think Chad's example of, of one note and then labeling that one particular note is a very good example of how you can fall into the novelty trap. And I think that the novelty trap is what gets us stuck in these modes where we're just defining and using and defining and using. With productivity apps, um, I find that the, the the term just because you can doesn't mean you should really, really applies. And one day, dear listeners, I will explain to you the system that
0: I'm now using, which is Apple Reminders, one simple basic to-do list, no groupings at all, and paper.
1: Okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about today was, uh, what I like to refer to as burn your ships. Um, I don't know the conquistador that did it. I don't remember, um because this is not a history podcast, nor is it an informational podcast, which Chad is fond of saying over and over again, because we very often forget uh, where our references come from and or the projects that we're talking about specifically. So my example is very specifically about burning your ships. Uh, What I mean by that is that, you know, over the course of our lives, we create these these things for ourselves. We create an apparatus of things like jobs and tasks and people and friends and things that we're supposed to do on a daily basis, Um, the routine that defines our our lives on a day-to-day basis. And most of those things occupy time, but very few of them actually offer any real progress or enlightenment. And over time, things just give us comfort. You know, they never really give us happiness. And so, you know, with losing a number of people this year, a few family members as well as a few friends, um, I've started to realize more and more the, the thing that people always say, which is... You know, you only have one life to live, so so why not do something that you, you you like, or why not do something that makes you happy? And I think that one of the key obstacles to me doing that is me creating this apparatus, me creating these these safety nets and these 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 tasks and friendships and and environments in which I feel like I'm using my time to. To occupy myself to 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 produce something, and i I realized that very few of those things actually make me happy and so you know over the last couple of weeks, um, there was a defining moment for me where I lost a friend, and in thinking about his life, one of the things that i I consistently remember was how he would just do things because they were there to do um, in no uncertain terms, he was like the joker from. From Batman, where he just did things because they, because that's just what he felt like doing. So, I decided to to quit my job, which I was very unhappy with. Um, I decided to remove my commute from my life, which ate up a lot of time and energy. And I decided to try to pursue something that that I think will make me much happier in the long run. And to, in order to to take that pursuit on with all of my energy and heart and speed, is to. Have quit my job. Um, and that was a tough thing for me to do. You know, it's a tough thing to, to let go of your, your support apparatus. It's, it's very difficult to take the thing that, that gives you the resources that you think that you need in order to live your life and to just burn it. And I think that that's, that's a, a, a good lesson for me and a good lesson for all of us. Um, in the sense that you'll always make money somehow. If you really needed to, you could go get a job somewhere doing something for, any amount of money that will help to define or save your life on a day-to-day basis. But in order to make yourself happy, you've got to burn your ships. You know, you've got, to, you've got to take steps towards making sure that whatever it is that you're going to do is the thing that you really want to do. And sometimes that can be tough to figure out. But once you do figure it out, I feel like you almost have no choice. You have to do it. And because otherwise you just, you never live the life that you want to live.
0: How do you think that that principle, that idea plays into your creative life, and not just the the choices that you made, but the principle itself. How do you see that working in your creative life? How do you burn ships in your creative life?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think one of the, the, the biggest ships I burned recently was um, deciding that I wasn't a writer, you know, really thinking about what my life was. Um, and writing was just not fulfilling me the way that, that it had been for many, many years. And like I've said in previous episodes, it's not to say that I will never come back to it. It's not to say that at one point in my life, I will not return to the person that I was when I sat in front of a computer or a piece of paper and, and, and blurted my words down to a piece of paper. Um. But I really do think that it's important to, to take stock. You know, I, I, I hid behind the shield of, of that for a long time. That, 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 that characteristic or that definition. You know, I am a writer and so therefore I am a certain number of things or I'm a certain, I'm a, I'm a certain way or I care about certain things. Well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not and and I'm going to burn that ship now. I'm I'm not a writer and and I don't feel like a writer. I don't act like a writer or not. I'm not passionate about writing at least not right now. So that's a good example, you know, when I was a photographer um and I was doing photography for a living, I think one of the ships that I burned was um stopping my photography company. Just saying, you know what? I I don't enjoy this at all and if I keep doing this then I will I will ensure that throughout the course of my life I will just hate it more and more um, and at some point I'll just stop picking up the camera altogether. So I think that it's it's really important for our, for artistic endeavors to really understand what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. For example, if I continued to write, I probably would, tr- you know, trudge along and and occasionally produce things that I like, but I imagine that 80% of what I I'd, I'd write would be lazy or you know, half half-assed and not really to its fullest potential because it's not it's not who I am right now. It's not it's not what makes me excited. It's not what what I'm passionate about. And so I wouldn't have done it the way that I I think I I I can. You know, I I wouldn't have produced the work that I really feel like in my heart I can produce. And it's because I don't care about it right now. And so that's the the and that's a hard thing for me to even say at this moment. You know, in this moment I I'm I'm having a difficult time saying those words in such a way that doesn't have a palpable sting to me. And I think it's really important to do things like that, even if they suck. Because if they suck, then that probably means that you're doing something right. Another important part about burning your ships, the reason that Cortez burned his
0: ships was to send a message to his men that we are moving forward and there is no retreat. There is no boat to take you back home. In your creative life, burning your ships can be taking that painting and putting it online to be criticized. It can be making that thing and exposing yourself in a large way, not just showing it to two or three friends, but putting it somewhere where thousands of people will see it, posting it on Reddit for criticism. Burning your ships is putting yourself in a in a position in which all you have to the only option you have is to grow to become better to become stronger to become the next thing to move to the next level no no more passive no more safety burning your ships is bravery burning your ships is saying yes i'm going to do this and because i made sure that there is absolutely no other option. The word decision and incision, they share the same root. Cision, which means to cut. When you decide, when you make a decision, you are cutting off all other options. And that's something a lot of us don't do very often. We don't make decisive. That's also from the same root. We don't make decisive choices. We don't make choices that are defining, that cut off other options.
1: You know, what's amazing about that, too, is um, it's been a long time since I've been that nervous or excited about anything. Um, But I I remember the day I wrote my letter of resignation to my job, how terrified and excited I was all in the same moment. Because I realized that the moment I, I sent that letter in, it was done. It was over. And whatever choice that I whatever choices that I would have to make from that point on would not involve my my current job, you know, and it wasn't that I I, I disliked my job, I loved my employees, I trained them all. Um, and I was reason, I was reasonably successful in that environment, but I wasn't happy. And I will say that I've never had More of a difficult time leaving a job because of that. You know, I had to, I had to really sit there and think about it. It Took me, it took me, you know, I'd been coming to the conclusion for some time, but it took me a solid day in front of a computer screen and a keyboard to really type each agonizing word of that resignation. And I will say that a, a week removed from that, 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 that process and that decision, I'm probably the happiest I've been in years. And I think part of the reason why I'm so happy now is because I can't go back. The ship is burned. I'm on shore and I'm either going to go in there. I'm either going to trudge further and further inland and and make myself a a place on this crazy deserted island or I'm going to flounder in the ocean swimming for ships that are no longer there. And I think that that's the best part of burning your ships and making decisive action and taking taking these these moments that you have in your life and acting without fear and acting acting bravely. Um, and I think that you know it, it's not that I, I I wasn't a coward at some point. You know, it took me a long time to come to this. You know, I had to fight the 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 urge to 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 just give in to my my fear and and stay where I was because you know I got a stable paycheck and it it helped to support my life as it was. Um, but I think that even if it's just for a moment, even if it's just just within that moment of decision, everyone has to be brave at some point, and everyone has to have the courage to take a step that may potentially dramatically change the course of your life and I think that in no uncertain terms, the choices that I've made over the last week will dramatically change the course of my life i'm I have no i have i have I have no doubt
0: of that in my mind. We're burning our ships tonight. We didn't practice this new format. We just plugged in the microphones and moved forward and we announced at the beginning of the episode that we were gonna do it, which means that that for the forty five fifty minutes that follow that statement, we had to live up to it. We burned our bridges
1: all all we have is forward. As always, you can find us on all the standard social media platforms, uh, Facebook.com slash RandomBadassery, um, on Instagram at RandomBadassery, or on Twitter at RandomBadassery. You can also find our subreddit, uh, which is RandomBadasseryPod.
0: And if you liked this episode, or you got some value out of it, or you know somebody that would get value out of it share, it, share it, share it, share it with everyone. We want to share creativity with the world, and it starts with you. <laughs>